Good evening. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is James Briscoe, and I am an ordained Baptist minister. However, I got into podcasting, so I'm going to be podcasting a lot of the stuff that I normally preach from the podium. This is my new podium. This is my first podcast, and I will state my purpose and objectives in this new endeavor to confront the sinful nature of this current society. I will podcast weekly using biblical teaching that is prophetic in nature, confronting the sinful, wicked conditions of this demonic influence world. My purpose is to warn God's remnant of the coming destruction that is the result of God's wrath in the form of his judgments that he will take out in the latter day prophecies. This prophecy will be called these latter days prophetical ministry. This wording for the end time was first used in the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, the prophets used this term many times. But as hundreds of years passed, there were other terms used to delineate the time. But as the time, but the term latter day stuck with the many of the prophets. In the Old Testament, it was used, and I'm going to give you some examples of it, but it was called the day of the Lord. Jacob's woes or Jacob's troubles. In the New Testament, it was used only two times as a result of other terms to mark the days for Jesus' second return. Let me just briefly take a, a brief uh, caveat and just talk. In the Old Testament, when they spoke of the latter days and Jacob's woes and the, uh, the day of the Lord, in the Old Testament, they were basically, these were Jews speaking to the Jews, telling them what was going to happen if they strayed away from God. In the New Testament, the, the writers, especially Paul and even Jesus, they were speaking of what was going to happen to the, the Christians. Some of the Christians were Jews, but many of them were now Gentiles when Paul was writing. So they were telling what's going to happen to the Christians in the latter days and as we move toward the end of the ages. So I'm going to first give you a two scriptural verses that deal and show how they use the, day, the latter days. The first comes from Deuteronomy. When you are in distress and all of these things come upon you in the latter days, then you will turn to the Lord your God and will obey his voice and his commandments. You see how they're speaking? And this is Moses, and he's speaking to the Israelites before they cross the river and go into the promised land. And he's telling them what's going to happen to those people if they mess around and stray away from God. Then in Hosea, Hosea is writing 750 years after Moses spoke to them, before they cross the river. He's now talking to them because they have split into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 
But Hosea is talking to both of those kingdoms. He says, after the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. You see how 750 years later, they were still using the term latter days. Now I'm going to read a few verses from the New Testament, and you'll see how they use it. And this is how they use it. First Timothy, verse four, I mean, chapter four, verse one. And this is what Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of the demons. You see how Paul is using it, and he's basically talking about what's going to happen to the Christians as we move closer to the end of the age, and to the Christians as we move closer to Jesus' return. So Paul is speaking to them. Then the second time that it's basically used, it's used again by Paul, and it's used in 2 Timothy. Now, many people, and many of you phony Christians out there, you don't understand that sometimes a verse is given or God is speaking to one of the prophets or one of the persons writing down what he wants the people to know. Then there's a time lag and then he says the same thing, but he says it a little different because time has passed and sometimes he's talked that the prophet is talking to a different audience. Now, Paul is talking to Timothy again, but seven years have passed. Paul has been in prison in Rome, but he got out of prison. And then when he was uh, going around evangelizing, they arrested him a second time. And now he's back in prison in Rome. This letter actually comes from Rome. The first letter came from Ephesians. Ephesus, I mean. This is what Paul said the second time using that, that, that theme or that, that frame of thought. He says in these verses, Paul is speaking about the one Christian, but he said, this is what he says. For the next, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrines. Hear that word doctrine? He did that the first time. And they will produce teachers who will turn them away from the truth and have them believe fables, lies. And all things endure afflictions. He's telling, telling Timothy, you're going to have a hard time, Timothy, when I'm gone, because Christians are going to, going to be hated and they're going to be persecuted and many are going to be martyred. And then he says, he ended up, finishes up, he says, do the work of an evangelist. He's telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And that's what any true Christian should be doing, the work of an evangelist. So you see how it's used those two different times in the New Testament and the audience is different in the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. In these verses, Paul is speaking about the phony Christians who refuse to accept God's word to determine how they will live. Biblical doctrine will be kicked to the curb and they will promote the false teaching that will come from the men of their choosing. Hear that? They'll choose the people they want to preach to. I like to call them lovey-dovey Christians who pick and choose from the Bible the verses that promote their humanistic beliefs. I call them cherry pickers also. So they go in the Bible and they just pick verses and they pick those that will go along with their humanistic beliefs. 
Humanism is what many, is what has caused the apostasy of the church in many ways, because humanism cuts into man's basic nature. See, man, the humanist will say, man is good. He's, we were created to be good and all that stuff. That's a lie. Bible says we were created and we have a sinful nature and we are terrible for, as a result of that sinful nature. So they pick and choose those verses they want to use to try and prove the point that man is good. What they're actually doing and humanism for, is doing is trying to make you God. So you decide what you want to do. You decide how you're going to do it and you decide what's important to you. So it's just cherry picking from the Bible. Humanistic Christians often use worn out cliches and overuse Bible platitudes to make you believe that they are holy, righteous followers of Christ. Let's look at some of the cliches they use and some of the silly platitudes that they take from the Bible that go along with their thinking. They'll tell you, have a blessed day. Ain't God good? God loves you. I generally look at them and I says, hey, have a blessed day. You know what that really means? It means that you should be out blessing somebody by doing something good and doing something righteous to help people. That's what it really means. Don't be telling somebody. You might be telling the worst type of person to have a blessed day. You think God is sitting up there laughing at you. Say, that's a, a sinner. He, he's full of Satan. And you're telling him to have a blessed day. That's stupid. Ain't God good. You know what? If God is so good, then why aren't you showing his goodness in the way you live? Why aren't you living in a way that people see the fruits of the spirit coming out in you and see how good God is? Because he wants you to be good so that you can be good to help others. And God is love. I just look at him and I say, do you know what love really means? Do you really know what agape love is? Agape love is a sacrificial love. You sacrifice. You put yourself last to help someone else. And God is always first with you. And Jesus is always first with you. So cliches and platitudes they use to make you think that they're somebody. The truth is they have very little knowledge of the Bible and what the real meaning of the word love is as used in the Bible. It's agape love. There are four different Loves used in the Bible. Greek has four different loves. We just have one word for it, but it's agape love. So Jesus said this about those phony Christians. He said this, not Briscoe, Jesus. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You hear that? You honor Christ with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I like to often throw that back at old Obama, y'all's God, you black folks, God, black churches, God, y'all voted for him, 93% of y'all in the black churches voted for him, and that's what I call you black folks, God. Obama cried out that he was a Christian, but that was just a big lie, because he did not show it in his heart that he was truly a Christian. He promoted things that were just awful and terrible. And he showed and he gave, and I could see that that man had no Christianity in him. Well, so they 
use these cliches and platitudes. And Jesus said that to them, they honor him with his lips, but their hearts are far from him. But I'll tell you another thing that Jesus said, and he just kind of nailed it to the wall. This is what he said to them. If you love me, then keep my commandments. Hear that? If you love him, then keep his commandments. You know what that means? If you love him, then you are going to live out what's found in those commandments. Now, that's how you prove you love him. I tell people this, when they say God is love, I say God is love, but you know what blocks God's love? I said, yeah, he's, he's extending his love out there. I said, but you're blocking his love with all the sinful things that you're doing. God can't love you as a sinner. He loves you as a person, but he certainly doesn't love that kind of behavior that you carry on. And you know what? And I tell him, I look right in eye. I said, God loves you so much, he's going to send you straight to hell. That's what his love is. See, God is righteous and he's holy. And that righteousness and holiness and the love that he extends can only be done and can only be received if a person wants to turn themselves from their sinful ways and live in a righteous, holy manner. And so you block God's love because of the way you live and your lifestyles that you follow. And so I tell them this. I tell them this often. And then I, I, I tell them this one last thing. I tell them, I said, you need to read John 7, the 21st verse through the 23rd verse. I said, I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but you read it and you'll see how close I am with my paraphrase. Jesus said, when I come into my kingdom, hear that? When I come into my kingdom, many are going to come to me and they're going to say to me, did not feed the hunger in your name? Did not help the, the, the homeless in your name? Did not help the poor and the sick in your name? Did not go to the prison and visit people in your name? And then Jesus is just going to sit there and look at him. He's going to, he's going to shake his head no, and he's going to say to them. He said, all of those things you did, you did in my name, but it was really in your own name. You were doing those for your own self-approval, not mine. And then he says, and this is scriptural, then he says to them, he says to them, you, he says, I know you not, I know you not. And then he says, I'm going to send you to the, out into outer, dark, outer darkness. Outer darkness is actually the lake of fire. He says, I know you're not. And then he's going to send them into utter darkness. So the hypocrisy of this day, the hypocrisy in the church, the fact that the church has brought in all kinds of things that are ungodly into the church, Politics have brought in social gospel, have brought in what I call now a recovery gospel, and all these crazy things that got nothing to do with the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are seeing what is happening. See, the fact is, the church should be the moral compass. We shouldn't be following the world. We are. Christians. I used to tell that to kids all the time at, when, when they were at school. I said, you're a Christian. We don't have to do all these crazy things these kids are going. You are Christ-like. 
And we are Christians and we need to realize that we are Christians. And if we're Christians, we gotta be the moral compass for this deplorable, terrible society. We gotta be pointing the way. And if we are out pointing the way, if they don't listen and they won't do it, it's on them. See, Jesus, I mean, I mean, God told one of the prophets, he says, if you don't go out there and prophesy and tell those people what's wrong, he says, I'm going to hold you responsible for it because you didn't go out and say anything about how wrong they were and how the terrible lives they're living. So we have to be the moral compass for that. We in the church, and I'm now out of the institutional church. See, there are two churches. There's an institutional church and there's a spiritual church. And I'm in that spiritual church. We in the spiritual church, we have to be pointing away and calling people out and telling people, just like the Old Testament prophets did. They called people out and told them. See, as long as the religious leaders were doing all right, this is Old Testament, as long as the religious leaders were doing their job, God didn't call the prophets. He only called the prophets when they got to the point where they weren't doing it and the prophets came to warn them that God was going to bring destruction. And he's going to rain down all kinds of hell on them. So we have to do our part and, 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 and do the things that are important. Well, I've talked for a little bit. These are many of the subjects that I'm going to be talking about as I move into the other, broad, the other podcast. And I'll be talking more about the kind of things that have to deal with this. See, they don't talk about this at the, most of these churches, but I'm going to be speaking on this one word, S-I-N, S-I-N. I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to spend a lot of time. And I'm going to talk about the sources of sin. What are the sources of sin? I mean, remember when Flip Wilson, the comedian, used to say, the devil made me do this. The devil made me do this. And I used to laugh. And a whole bunch of people took that attitude. The devil made me do that. And the church is full of people today talking about what Satan is doing. He's doing all this. That's a bunch of silly talk. That's comedian talk. You know where the main source of sin is? Go to the mirror and look at yourself. You are the main source. Your flesh calls out for the sinful one. You were created at where you would want to despise God and that you want to be your own God. That's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve and Satan talked to them and they wanted to be their own God and everything. 51% of the source of sin is you. Now, 33% of the, the source is Satan and the rest of the source is the world system. That's about 17% or 16%. Now, because you are the source of sin, 51%, and because you have to deny yourself and follow Christ. In the 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, listen what he said, you first must deny yourself. You hear that? Self-denial. Then you must pick up your cross. That means you must deal with all the hardships that are going to come along with being a Christian. And then he said, then you can follow me. Well, I'm going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to deal with that thing because you ministers out there, most of you bunch are just a phony, a bunch of phony 
ministers out there and you're just preaching what the people want to hear. I don't preach what the people want to hear because they ain't giving me a paycheck. And ain't nobody sponsoring this. Dr. McGee used to say, and he has one of the greatest, one of the greatest radio ministries, and it's going all over the world. It's Right now, it's in uh, 1,500 languages when Dr. McGee said this. He used to say, if you don't want to hear the truth and you don't want to hear the gospel, he said, turn, this radio, turn your radio to another station. Put it on another channel. He said, because I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't want to hear the truth and you want to hear a bunch of lies and stuff that you're hearing out there in these churches, then don't tune me in because you're not you're going to hear the truth from me. And I'm going to tell you the truth no matter what, because that's what God has put on my heart. I go to sleep thinking about what I got to say and I wake up saying thinking about what I got to say. Well, I've gone over my 20 minutes. 20 minutes is about the best you can get for attention span. And I've gone over it, but I'm going to uh, be dealing with this concept of sin. And we're going to talk more about it. I want to close by telling you that I hope that you have gained something from what I said today. I'm powerless without God's spirit. I'm unarmed without his words. You hear that? I'm powerless without his spirit. And when I don't have his scriptural words, then I don't have my sword with me. And when I don't have my sword with me, I know. Have a good evening.